Biathlon is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. With each episode, Heartbeat brings you insights into this fascinating sport. And a big thanks to Heartbeat's sponsor, Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. This month, the eyes of the Paralympic world will be on Utah's Soldier Hollow as the Paranordic World Cup finals come to the USA. Team USA is expected to make a strong showing, led by current Biathlon World Cup leader Kendall Gretsch. But it will be a bittersweet time for one of America's most accomplished Paranordic athletes. Oksana Masters, the 14-time Paralympic medalist, will miss the event to have surgery on a hand that she injured in Canada early this season. Masters is a remarkable young woman who has captured the hearts of fans for her simply incredible story. Born in the Ukraine a short time after the Chernobyl nuclear disaster, she suffered from multiple birth defects and was given up for adoption. After spending years in an orphanage under trying conditions, she was adopted by an American woman. Then it was years of surgeries. Today, she is a gorgeous, athletic, well-spoken young woman who is a real testament to perseverance. She is quick to recognize all of the supporters and mentors who have guided her from an abandoned orphan into one of the world's most highly respected athletes. Her just-released book, The Hard Parts, A Memoir of Courage and Triumph, will grip your heart from page one. It's available now wherever books are sold. Oksana Masters is an enjoyable conversationalist whose motivation is simply to tell her story to educate others. Please join me in welcoming Paralympic champion Oksana Masters to Heartbeat. And this week, we welcome an amazing athlete, 17-time Paralympic medalist Oksana Masters. And Oksana, how are you doing today? You're home. I am home. Finally, I just got back from New York last night, and I'm home making a mess in my kitchen with pancakes. (laughs) Well, you uh, I know you're on a book tour and we're going to talk about your uh, new book uh, in just a little bit. But uh, before we get into this, I want to congratulate you on what I think is your third nomination for a Larius uh, World Sports Award. You won that award in 2020. And uh, this is an, you know, you look through the other categories and some of the people who have been nominated for this award. I mean, this is the creme de la creme of international athletes. So congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm literally just so speechless and shocked entirely um, because it's like the Laureus Awards are like the Oscars of the awards. It's, this is the, as big as it gets and to be nominated along, like you said, some incredible, incredible athletes and the previous winners are just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm speaking their name and now I'm in the sentence with them. Were, were you, when you got the award in 2020, that was during COVID, were you able to go to the ceremony? So it was the last gathering um, before the world shut down and, um, just got back from, so I was like, when we were in Berlin right before the whole world shut down and before COVID actually was a thing. So they didn't really read, like, didn't really know that. And then it became like, oh my gosh, the severity. And we learned all about it. And, um, so it was pretty in that way, it was pretty amazing to have that as a memory of that was the last time I remember before 
everything shut down, being around so many incredible iconic athletes and people I look up to and especially having Tony Hawk present me with my award and let my mom come up there. It was, it was pretty wild. Who were some of the other sports celebrities you met at that? Missy Franklin. Um, there's, oh my gosh, I'm, Khalif, I can't, I'm going to totally butcher his name. Um, the, like the marathon runner, Khalif. Oh my God, I like, can't pronounce his name. It was just, and then like Nadia Kamenitz too. So there were like so many current athletes too, but then also like, athletes that I remember growing up watching on TV with my mom and stuff too. So my mom got to see her, like her years also. Cool. Are you a big Tony Hawk fan? I, I, I am. And yeah, I was when I was a child and I still am. Yeah. He's, he's amazing. Uh, uh, I've done a number of projects with him and, you know, he just goes, I mean, he comes from skateboarding, but he just speaks about sport and the impact and the benefits of that. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's kind of, so what it's really interesting because Tony Hawk is a very similar I think experience in his sport world as I do in my, in my sports, because skateboarding was really underrepresented and they really fought for it to be at the forefront and biathlon and cross-country skiing in general, those kind of sports in the U S are so underrepresented in so many ways. still, especially as Paralympic. So I kind of got to bond um, around that too. And how he really, him and his dad made it what it is. And he is re lit that fire and, it's incredible. I'm hoping that I know we're going to talk a little bit, but I'm hoping that's what's going to happen for the World Cup coming up here for us. Cool. Well, let's talk about your career. And I, I have to tell you, folks, and we're going to talk about the book later, but the book is The Hard Parts, published by Simon Schuster. It's available now, and I encourage you to get it. Uh, a, a lot of us have heard your story, and it and, it, and it, it, it really is gripping. It is really touching. But for you to accomplish what you've accomplished in sport, you had to really overcome a lot of other hurdles, and you had a lot of people help you along the way. Give us a little background on uh, you know how your life began in Ukraine and the pathway that ultimately led you to the Paris Olympic stage? Yeah, my story, it's very complex and very, it's like a little tangled knot of like the Christmas lights. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, they don't even want to attempt to undo. And it kind of weaves in like that. Um, I was born in Ukraine, like you said. I was put up right away for adoption because I was born with multiple birth defects. And a lot of people know it was because of radiation and it was Chernobyl, which happened three years before I was born. But the levels of radiation are so strong and powerful. Um, that it just caused a lot of birth effects in my mom's birth stomach and resulted in me living in three different orphanages. And when I was during writing this process of this book, I, for the first time, sat back and was like, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even realize how the parallel to my personal journey as a human is parallel to my experience and journey as an athlete. It didn't start out with the perfect family, perfect experience, believing you can be an athlete. And um, there's a lot of mistreatment in the orphanages. I definitely wasn't expected to live long past 10 and mis like malnutrition. Um, and then I was adopted by my mom who adopted me as a single parent. And she just fought for me for two years during that adoption process and never gave up on me. And this is basing it on a picture. She never went and just met me. It's just a picture and two years later, she finally comes and gets me when I'm seven and a half in the middle of the night. And I meet my mom for the first time. And honestly, that's where my life changed forever. And I started living and actually living my life. Um, she gave me that second chance. She saved my life. When we got to America, 
lived in Buffalo, New York, but it wasn't until Louisville, Kentucky that she saved it again by opening the door of sports for me. She never really pushed me to get in it. Um, it was just whatever I was ready. And now we're here. Now I got distracted from other sports, but now I'm right now competing in cross-country skiing, biathlon, and road cycling. You have won medals both in the summer and the winter Paralympics. And what's interesting to me is you really got your start in rowing. How did that come about? And why was that such a difference maker to leading you on this great path of Paralympic success? Well, honestly, Tom, I had no idea that I was going to be an athlete and this was going to lead me on this path to success, That, let alone I could be successful or an athlete because I never saw anyone like me missing. At that time when I tried rowing, I was I had my rear leg and then one prosthetic leg. And it was also when we just moved to Louisville, Kentucky. And I was just told that I'm, when I'm ready, I'm going to have to amputate my second leg. They can no longer save it. And then on top of that, a lot of memories I suppressed when I was a child from Ukraine that I just denied anything happened. I couldn't, my body couldn't hold, no longer hold it in. And it just came out. And for me, it wasn't try sports to be go, go on this path of success and be successful. It was my therapy. It was my outlet, a healthy outlet where I could just let everything out, do my process without needing to verbalize it for those moments I didn't know how to put what I was feeling into words. And little, and then, but it was also like what I realized was how competitive I was. And that was something I was from birth. I was very competitive in, when I was in Ukraine and everything. I think it just, what I learned is that sport, I, I just did it to learn me and find my own strengths and help me view myself by what I'm able to do with the body and accept it and love myself before I actually, and that's the step I would needed to take before I believed I could be an athlete when I didn't have that athlete to look at. You know, Oksana, what you say here, I think is very important to athletes. And I've often made this point that very few athletes start out their athletic career saying, I'm going to start this because I want to be an Olympic or a Paralympic champion. And it's, it's something they start for fun or for therapy or whatever it might be. So I think your words are really valid to all athletes that you don't start out to win a gold medal. You start out for something else. And that gold medal, that's a byproduct of your success. It's a byproduct of hard work and perseverance and your team and just that grind and doing that thing that you love because there are going to be those moments in those days where you're, you, it's going to be so easy to quit that workout and stop and just, okay, well, it's going to be easier if I just do this. But it's that determination, that love for what you're doing that you learned early on to get that. And I think that's what gold means to me. It's not just like, oh, it's just, it shows that you're on a good path. You, you you talked about the team around you. And if you look back at your life and your athletic career, you have had a lot of really key people that stepped in at an important time and helped you bridge that. Uh, how important is that to have those mentors, to have those coaches and teammates to keep pushing you along? It's so important because my my team was first my mom. She taught me how to love. She taught me what family was. She taught me what a dream is and that not only just to dream it, but you can actually go for your dreams and work towards those. And then I had people that like I have friends that like didn't see my differences. They were just we were just hanging out and stuff. But then I also had an impactful coach. Well, there were really two, Randy Mills and Bobby Hurley, who really in Louisville, Kentucky were Bobby was my rowing coach. He, when he learned and found out, like, I was like, okay, Bobby, I'm, I'm determined. I'm, I'm ready. I want to put, I'm going to work hard toward, for this. He believed in me. And in the time when I made the decision to go to 
the Paralympic Games in 2008, I was told I'm too small by someone else that was running that organization and rowing. And that is the difference between having that person and having that team around you in your community, in your household, on the, on, in your sport that believes in you and the difference of that person in that sport and your community in the household that you don't have and that doesn't believe in you. And it will change your outlook. And when you are an athlete and getting into sports or business or just your personal life team. And that's why I always say it's like, so I feel so awkward being on the podium when I'm lucky. And it's a bittersweet moment because I'm there on the podium if I'm lucky to be on it, not my team around me. So people see just this one person when I know I am standing on this podium because there's a village of people that helps me be there and they're not there. And it's crucial. You know, I think if you look at great champions, I mean, I remember that back, and this goes a long ways back to Phil Mayer, who was the Olympic champion in slalom in 1984. And, you know, he, 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 he talked to me about how he stood up on the podium and really for the first time in his career, he started to see all of those people that helped him to get to that place. And, you know, that's, it's, it's just so important for everyone to understand that, you know, maybe you aren't the one up on that podium, but that athlete up there is there because the result of a lot of people helping. Yeah, absolutely. And and it goes to your nutritionist, to your strength coach, to your technique coach, to your every like your ski coach or whatever sport you're in, um, your psychology, then the sports psychology coach and your family and your friends around you. It's like all those people that you don't really know in the moments when you are on that podium. That's where you get to have that outside perspective of I'm so lucky. Yeah, so so important. Let's get to snow. We've had a lot of it here in Utah. So the World Cup coming <laughs> up in Soldier Hollow. Of course, the time that I'm missing a season is the time it's like a record snowfall. <laughs> well, it has been really good. But you, so you started out in a summer sport. How did you make the transition to snow? What was it that motivated you to uh, put on a pair of skis and go sliding across the snow? Oh my gosh. Okay, Thomas, I probably should not admit this, but I had no idea that I knew cross-country skiing biathlon existed in the Olympics. I had no idea winter sports existed for people with disabilities or Paralympic athletes at all. I thought it was just a summer thing. So I had no idea. So when I found out about it, I was shocked and so intrigued, especially on the biathlon side. But what happened was in 2013, um, or right before 2013, in that summer, I injured my back in a race for rowing. And that kind of puts me out for rowing long-term. Like I thought I was going to be, and I thought that's all I was going, I wanted to be. And I thought that's all I was going to do was row for the next games and the Paralympic games. And, um, what I think long story short, and in a nutshell is that door closed for me, but another door opened when I was in Texas, um, into the world of sports of the winter side and getting on skis. And Eileen Carey was there at that event with another athlete. And she found out I was interested in getting on snow. Okay. When I said that I was interested in, in like downhill skiing, snowboarding, because I was trying to get away from more spandex, not keep adding to the layers of spandex and competing in those sports. And she invited me, just took a chance and invited me to come out. And the first place I tried was in it was in Soldier Hollow in Utah. So it, I, I mean, that place is a, it, I have the best memories where I just broke everything I touched of skis and, and poles and everything. And um, not being afraid of the unknown and to try something new. I was, I had no idea what this was. And I was offered this opportunity 
to try. And right before I left to tr- for this camp, I almost, I told my mom, like, oh, I don't know. I don't think this is for me. I don't want to do it. I want to try and row. And my mom said, you already told her you're going, you're committed. And I can't imagine. So my mom, once again, was always there guiding me when I and pushing me when I needed to be pushed to go and take those leaps. And so, yeah, long story short, it's Eileen Carey who opened that door, who's the director of the program right now. Just to give listeners some perspective, you had won a bronze medal at the Summer Paralympic Games in 2012 in London, so you already were a Paralympic medalist. Uh, Eileen certainly is a Pied Piper, uh, leading people into the sport. And I imagine that you started with just the cross-country aspect of it. Biathlon probably came along a little bit later. No. That's, I, you started I with what, biathlon. Well, so it was all of it. Actually, that's not true. The first time I tried skiing was in Breckenridge, Colorado. And it was just, it's the first time we went out, Hartford Ski Spec was having snow. And the first race I did, the next time I really actually learned how to ski or was trying to, was in Utah. And there was just a small little strip of snow because they didn't have a lot of snow. And so I tried the one day to ski, had no idea how to stop, realized, oh my gosh, there's no way to stop on these things because we're in a, I'm in a sit ski. I take my legs off and the skis are on this fixed frame that is just in parallel lines going down. They don't just, you can't, pizza or anything. And then someone said, do you want to try biathlon? And there was this white shaggy rug. And I, at that point, I was like, what is that? And I was like, what? You can shoot? And so I was like, all about that. I'm like, oh my God, this is so badass. And got down, I didn't even realize they didn't have a cuff. So I didn't even realize I had a cuff at all. So the first time I tried, I didn't even have the whole components to, to be able to shoot well. But I loved that feeling of just being bad at something. And that whole part of just learning and, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter what level you are in biathlon, you can achieve X, Y, and Z, and there's still so much space to learn. And that is really intriguing to me. So I actually, um, when I started, I did both at the same time. I want to go back to the comment you just made. I love being bad at something. Tell us more about that. <laughs> I know I say that and then I, my, my fiance is going to be like, no, you don't. You complain about it all the time, but it's in that moment of, I just came off from rowing and I was, my fire was lit to represent Team USA and just that hunger. And I was craving to stand on that podium again. And I realized how much by achieving that bronze medal, standing on that podium and rowing, how much I wanted that. And that is what I wanted to do with my life and as an athlete. And it was in just in that moment when I transitioned and it was, I went from like, we would just achieve this to just starting all over. And I don't know if it's because a little bit of my background and where I, I'm so used to having that back against the wall and having to fight. It's the same perspective I have where I'm starting something new. You're learning and re, you're just learning something about yourself that I can apply to either my sport or just something about, um, it's just me as a whole person. And I just, that's when change really happens is when you're bad at something and you're open-minded and you just work because the curve to your make, you see these steps so big in those moments. And I just love being a sponge and learning that and just absorbing everything because I, as an athlete, I feel like that's, that's, that's all we are sponges and we're absorbing, constantly learning and always trying to chase that better race, that perfect race, that, um, that thing. And that happens for me when I start over. Heartbeat will be right back with Oksana Masters. But I want to take a minute to tell you about a new partner, Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. 
Paul Smith's college takes pride in the programs that it has established to offer athletes a college education and sports-specific training, all nestled in New York's Adirondacks. From an outstanding trail network to its eight-point biathlon range, Paul Smith's College is a great environment for athletes who want a small college located in a sports-centric region. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. That's paulsmithsbobcats.com. Now let's get back to Oksana Masters on Heartbeat. So your first Winter Paralympics in Sochi in 2014, you won a silver and you won a bronze in both in cross country. Did that give you some motivation to really dive a little deeper into biathlon? Because you came back in 2018 with some amazing success. (laughs) So the first race in 2014 Paralympic Games was the biathlon sprint. I literally never cleaned one single... When I started biathlon, Tom, I was missing everything. And this is, I think, why... People are like, oh my God, but you ski so fast. It's because I was doing, I was missing every shot to the point when I missed five shots. So I dirtied the whole stage and then I forgot how many, what number I was in the penalty loop. So I just kept doing extra loops. So I added a whole lot of distance to each ski race that I think I just accumulated my volume through that. And that's like a perspective thing. So, you know, back and now I look at it, I'm like, yeah, you know what? That helped me. <laughs> I need, it gave me some extra, but um, in Sochi, I, in that sprint biathlon, I clean and I had no idea where I was. What I was, I was sitting in third place. So I was ready for a podium. And then I didn't know, I got confused with the finish straight. So I ended up going into the lap lane instead of to the finish. And I got fourth by four seconds, five seconds. So I would have been on that if I didn't do that mistake. And, but then what reiterated and had me hungry for the next four year cycle in 2018 to be able to build off of that was the silver and the bronze in the cross country. It was amazing. And then let's fast forward to uh, Beijing in 2022. Interesting games because you were kind of landlocked and couldn't really do much, but from an athletic perspective, really successful for you. I got really, really lucky. And that is honestly, it's our team. Our, oh my gosh. The one thing I am so confident in is our team and our preparation with the equipment, with our skis and the wax. And they put 150% into every athlete and every person on the start line. And, and that was, that just was the result of how well we all did. And I think my extra motivation was the fact that I am Ukrainian and American. And with the political thing that was going on there, that fire was a little bit deeper that helped me be motivated for something more on that start line. And that helped me have wild games. Kind of on that point, do you have connectivity back to Ukraine? Is there, uh, do you have anyone back there that you know? I know that your childhood there was short, but do you have any connectivity still there? Yeah, I do. Because I went back in Ukraine in 2015 when um, the first invasion was happening between the Sochi Olympic and Paralympic Games. And so that was a very mixed feeling there too, especially when in Sochi, they were saying that I was from the former USSR. They wouldn't even acknowledge me as like where I was born from, which was Ukraine. So I was there, created new friends. And, but at the same time, that's where I learned my birth family's alive and I had family and I had brothers there. And I've, I've never met them at all in person, but communicate with them through social media. And that's exactly what I was doing in Beijing is every time I'd get home from the podium, 
and I would go. Everyone else, all the other athletes are celebrating, except Ukraine, obviously. But but on the team, teammates, everything, they'd be celebrating. But I would be going home and I was talking to them and I still talk to them every day and checking in to see how they're doing. And sometimes you don't hear from them and you wonder, is this the last time? Will I never hear from them? Will I never meet them? And um, so, yeah, I, it's very different when you're from there, you have that connection, but then you're from there and you're actually talking to people there that one day your dream is to meet them in person. Yeah, it is an amazing story. We're going to talk more about it when we talk about the book in just a minute. But uh, just to take us back on snow for a minute, uh, sadly, you're missing this season. Tell us about your injury and the status of it. And then we'll talk about the World Cup coming up. Yeah, this brace is not for style and accessory because I would, it's not cute whatsoever. Um, I was, so because um, cross country, the IPC, it went from IPC Paranordic under the IBU, the International Biathlon Union, and then the FIS cross country side. So what we had to do for the World Cup season starting is have a qualifying points for FIS and IBU. And in Canada, that's what I was doing. I went out early on my own, on my own dime to try and be a better athlete, a better skier to build off of Beijing. And unfortunately in that race, I fell and I caught myself and I damaged my, my finger. And because of the anatomy, the way I hold things and everything, it is a very important finger for me. And then just shredded all the ligaments. And right now I've had two surgeries <laughs> to repair it. I'm about to have my third one and I'm hopefully third... <laughs> The third time is going to be the best time and it's going to be over and I can move on and start rebuilding for the next season. But it, this is the first time I was saying earlier before we started, like this is in 10 years since of racing, international racing, that I've missed a season and I don't know what to do with myself. That's why I, I don't cook and I'm making pancakes and I clearly don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't see any flames. So I think you're safe. I think you're safe now. So you actually then have conveniently scheduled your surgery to coincide with the World Cup, maybe to take your mind off it a little bit. Yeah, well, so that's, and that's exactly what happened. So when the team was traveling to for the second surgery, I wasn't sure the whole point was for me, like after the first surgery, I'm going to go back a little bit was to get back, have the surgery right away. And the goal was to make it for world championship team. Unfortunately, that recovery did not last. And the day my team was traveling to Sweden, I went with them to the airport. They were off to Sweden for world championships. I was off to Vail, Colorado, the Stedman Clinic to have my second surgery and deja vu all over again. Now it's the World Cup final here in Soldier Hollow in Utah. The team's going to be traveling. The race is starting March 1st. My surgery's March 2nd. And I guess like, you know, my body could have found another way to be on the same side of the U.S. with them to support them. I didn't have to be in the hospital room, but I have to do things above and beyond, I guess. We'll certainly miss you in Soldier Hollow, the event taking place March 1st to 8th, the Paranordica World Cup. Uh, Who should we watch for from Team USA? Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm so excited because this is going to be an incredible mix of veterans, of Paralympic champions, of world champions. And then new athletes, new and up and coming young athletes. And I think this is the best thing about, and I'm so frustrated missing it. Um, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to put the first, first person is my fiance, Aaron Pike, who just won his first world championship title. And he ended up walking home, going home with two world championship titles and silver second, two silver places. And then my teammate, Kendall Gretsch is just a force on the women's side and the sit skiing side. And there's a whole lot of Jake Adikoff. Danny Arovich. I'm just going to go and name you the whole roster of everyone. 
And then, the, but it's amazing because Erin Martin, she is an incredible, incredible sit skier who's was in Beijing. And I can't wait for her to be able to um, to show the n- new generation of athletes and Lyra, who's a younger girl too, um, Lyra Dorderline. There's just so many incredible athletes. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just watch out for everyone really, I guess. Well, it's, it's going to be a great event, March 1st to 8th at Soldier Hollow on the Olympic and Paralympic course there. We're going to shift over and talk about the book right now, The Hard Parts, uh, an autobiography, uh, actually a memoir, really, from uh, Oksana Masters. And I mean, the first thing I have to ask you, I mean, I just picked up the book this morning and have gone through it a little bit. Just for me as a reader, it's incredibly emotional. Had to be just deeply emotional for you to put this together. It was. Um, so when I was actually putting this together. I I had a collaborator, Cassidy Randall, who helped me with it. And we the I was training for Tokyo 2021, technically with the pandemic, and the Beijing Winter Games that were six months afterwards. And I knew that what I was going to share, and I wanted to share my whole journey, not just the ups and the moments that society that media shows now you now where you are and where I come from and a little more of that background of the type of athlete I am and why. And we did that, those hard memories from Ukraine that I go more into detail in the book. Um, and there are things that I will never share, but there are more things there. There are some things I'm not, have not worked over and still have a lot of healing and processing to do. And I do that in, in the gym, I sweat it out and I do it on the start line and on the races, but it was really important for me to share the the whole side, also to shine a light on what happens in orphanages. And this doesn't just happen in Ukraine. This happens in foster care and orphanages here in the U.S. and all over the world and to help make a better home environment for pe- for those kids who do not have the homes. When you think back to that time when you were a young girl in the Ukraine, what's your earliest memory that you can go back to? One of my earliest memories is being in this room where it's just really, really hot and warm water. And I remember it's like a square shaped pool. That's my first memory and the smells and you can smell and it was always dark. And then it got when I was getting a little older and remembered more like that was my the therapy that I was getting from them. And you opened the book with that. Yeah, it starts with my early memory and then people... We'll see why my fiance makes fun of me of, are you my mother? Are you my mother? Like that little kid's like little duck like thing that just goes, um, because I did not have the human, the positive, kind, loving like interactions with people. So every time someone was nice, I thought, oh, for sure that that meant they're my mom. And that is a theme that's throughout. You close the book with an interesting question. You say, I remember Eileen's question from all those years ago. What would you say to your eight-year-old self? She was quite an influence on you, wasn't she? Eileen was, oh my gosh. I mean, she's a huge influence, not just in cross-country skiing. And because I will never forget too, like when I won my first gold medal, World Cup on my own ever was in a sprint. And it's something we worked on for such a long time in the technique and um, because I was that angry, aggressive racer and she taught me to think things in this way and would ask those insightful questions where I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. But I felt so uncomfortable. I didn't have, I didn't know what to say at that point. But that's the beauty of having a coach like her 
who sees each athlete and understands where they come from and is willing to help and is saying, asking questions like that to help you be a better athlete and connecting you on a personal level instead of just giving this blanket, like, okay, here's what we're going to be working on kind of thing. And going back to that question, I would, that eight-year-old girl, because sometimes as athletes, we're so hard on ourselves. We are our biggest critics and we break ourselves down from a bad race or just a bad day when she was, and that's what in that moment I was doing. I was like, oh my God, I can't do this. I'm never going to get that. And I, I just was talking. I opened up a little bit more about my past experiences in Ukraine very vividly or very like just broadly. And she said, well, what would you, what would you tell yourself at eight years old when you were eight years old? And then it's different when you start talking and thinking about yourself as a child, like you're not going to say these things. You're not going to break yourself down and do this negative self-talk and just doubt yourself like that. And that was a big um, key for me. And now eight-year-old Oksana, I would say to just keep fighting and believing and having that hunger for life and having that hunger for that next morning and having the ability to wake up. And sometimes in Ukraine, that was the best part was I'm waking up. This is going to be an incredible day because I am able to wake up this morning. Oksana, we know you as a Paralympic champion. We know about your career in sport. This book, though, it's really more about humankind. Yes. So I didn't want, I don't want people to read this story and read my memoir and learn about me, learn about my journey as an athlete. It's really, I mean, it's a big part, but they learn why sports was a big part and what it became for me. It's a, it's more of a conversation like, you know, with like them, me and the reader helping them to view their own challenging moments, their hard parts that they do not have the courage to face or accept and process yet. And I want them to be empowered to be like, okay, whether I experienced this as a child, whether my story was written for me a long time ago, I, I can rewrite it. I don't have to live in this moment, these hard moments right now forever. I'm choosing that. And that's really the whole aspect of the story. It's not just sports. It's not just about me. I hope that makes sense. It makes total sense. The book is The Hard Parts by Oksana Masters, a memoir of courage and triumph. You can get it right now wherever books are sold. We're going to close it out with a a few fun things, lighten it up a little bit here, Oksana. We have a section we call On Target and simple things. And the first one for you, did you have a sport hero growing up? Honestly, Tom, I didn't. Growing up because I didn't and this is so bad. Like everyone's like, they have that person. My fiance says it's Michael Jordan. But for me, I didn't when I was a little kid because I didn't identify with them because while I'm not an athlete, I can never be an athlete. So that's not where I got my inspiration. And it was hard to be that when you couldn't see it. But now I do. It's different. Now as an athlete, it has changed. Who do you have as heroes now? Oh my gosh. Well, it changes so much when I got into biathlon and I questioned and questioned and questioned because I was not good at biathlon. I'm that person I needed to learn. I learned like the 14th or 13th time around on how to do something. And when I got discouraged, I I really, really, really was inspired by Susan Dunkley and her fight and how, the, her career and how many years she's put into it. And then for it, and then she gets that moment and it was just her Lowell Bailey, but then on the, as in general, I am accident prone. So I really looked up to Lindsay Vaughn too, because she got knocked down with so many injuries and came back and made me believe, okay, I can do this. But I think 
you know, you were saying the story is more connecting about humankind and just kindness. There's nobody right now in this planet as an athlete I look up to and inspire than Michaela Schifrin. She is the epitome of a badass athlete and the most kindest human person in the way she does it on the fe- in on the on the runs. And then she's that person that looks at her competitors and her teammates and hugs them and congratulates them when they beat her. You know, I thought of her when you talked earlier about being on the podium and thinking about all the people around you. And one of the things with Michaela, she's won 80 plus World Cups and countless medals. She doesn't celebrate. She celebrates in a different way. And it's very much, you know, to what you said earlier, it's very much about thoughtful time remembering all the people who helped her get there. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I don't want to speak for her, but I think I understand I, my, my celebration and my gold medal isn't the medal itself. It's not the numbers and the stats. It's, it's the memories that I have in that day, in that moment, in that race, crossing that finish line and being in the moment with your team and celebrating. And that is what, what makes me truly the happiest. And that's what I remember when I close my eyes. It's not the physical thing that I just, that's literally in the closet. And then now my socks, really my socks. I have a reason to have socks now. So we're to lighten it up a little bit, we're going to go to your favorite musical artist. Oh my gosh, my favorite musical artist? That's so hard. I'm a Gemini. I'm like everywhere, all over the place with my music. I am, I love Halsey so much. I listen to her newest album like nonstop. My favorite of all time though? I don't know. That's hard to say. That's okay. You can have that. How about a favorite movie of all time? Um, so I'm that child at heart. I'm a big kid that just never, I think is going to grow out of being 10 years old. So I love Monsters, Inc. and Shrek. Like Shrek, I think is my number one. Monsters, Inc. My, um, and then uh, Bridesmaids. I love Bridesmaids. And favorite place you've competed in the past? Favorite place I've competed? Okay. So Tom, is this by... The venue? Or are we talking Whatever. about the food? Are we talking well, about okay. because of coffee? <laughs> now, now you're getting into it, and we're going to talk about coffee later. But uh, I think you have to weave all those things in because a good pizza makes a good venue, right? Yes, absolutely. So we have not had a chance to race in Italy yet. That's why I'm so excited for 2026 because, oh my gosh, it's going to be incredible. But um, I think my favorite place, I love Canmore, Canada, actually. It's, I just, I just keep getting injured there, but I I love racing there. They do a really good job in the mountains and stuff. And, um, and then my favorite place to ski because of the food, because I'm deep down, ultimately the reality is I'm driven by food and that's what really motivates me is I love Germany and training in Italy, but yeah. Let the record reflect that Oksana Masters wants to go to the Olympics in Milan Cortina because she's heard the food is really good in Antholz, right? Yes. And it's like the home of biathlon. Like, yeah, oh it my, is. well, yeah. Like, but yeah, well, not the home, but yeah, it's it's huge. But it's mainly the food. So if I make it there and I'm not on the start line, you can go to you, you can go to the pizza shops and the food there to see where I'm at. Best cup of coffee. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Favorite cup of coffee. And it can't be Starbucks. Well, that's not coffee. Sorry. That's, okay. <laughs> I used to work at Starbucks. I get it. Those people who say that that's a coffee shop, that's in coffee. I go to Starbucks and the airport for the frou-frou drinks of like the chai lattes and the dirty chais and stuff. But my favorite drink is Americano. It's my favorite one to drink. But I would say my favorite cup of coffee. I love, okay, I don't know if it's because I have stumps, but I just got back from New York and was drinking 
um, a cappuccino from Stumptown. And I don't know. I just love it. I mean, I think it's like a, it's a great, I have stumps and it says stump town. It's just a great match made in heaven. We'll put it down then. Final <laughs> question. This is going to be a tough one. I know for you, but in one word, just one word, what has sport meant to your life? One word to sum that up? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Tom, that's hard. Um, One word to what sports has done for my life. What, it, what has meant to your life? Yeah. Meant to my life. It's just freedom. That's perfect. Freedom. I love it. Oksana Masters, we will miss you at the World Cup, but uh, take care of yourself. We look forward to seeing you back next year and most of all on the start line in Antholtz in 2026. Thank you for joining us on Heartbeat. Thank you so much, Tom. My heart is still pounding from listening to Oksana Masters' story. It's disappointing that she can't join her teammates at Soldier Hollow, but she will be there in spirit as the World Cup Finals come to the USA. Before we go, I want to send a final shout out to Paul Smith's College, the official higher education partner of U.S. Biathlon. To learn more, go to paulsmithsbobcats.com. That's paulsmithsbobcats.com. And if you missed earlier episodes of Heartbeat this year, check out the interviews from the World Championships in Oberhof last month. And remember, you can watch the IBU World Cup all season long. Check out links at usbiathlon.org and on our social channels. And remember to subscribe to Heartbeat to get every episode delivered directly to you. Thanks again to Oksana Masters, and don't forget to pick up her new book, The Hard Parts, available now anywhere books are sold. I'm your host, Tom Kelly. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat, the US Biathlon podcast.